This is the CMB Podcast, session number five. Welcome to the CMB Podcast, a podcast designed to serve people of faith who make music. If you're looking for practical and inspirational ideas to help you in your musical craft, then look no further. ChristianMusicBlog.com is all about helping you think differently about creativity through eyes of faith as you learn how to establish healthy musical habits and disciplines, fueling your creativity and making you more prolific for the glory of God. And now your host, Nate Fancher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the fifth episode of the Christian Music Blog Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, the CMB Podcast is all about encouraging you, the Christian music maker. I have in mind a person of faith who is making music, whether you are just starting out, whether you've been doing this for years, or whether you are a professional. Um, I, I hope to encourage you. And so the CMB Podcast exists to serve people of faith who make music. Now, today I have on the podcast an interview that I had with Noel Richards. If you do not know who Noel is, he is a singer-songwriter, worship leader from England. Um, he's written songs like All Heaven Declares, By Your Side, You Laid Aside Your Majesty, uh, My Lips Shall Praise You, on and on. And um, he even helped to break songs like We Want to See Jesus Lifted High and I Could Sing of Your Love Forever before anyone knew who they before anyone knew what those songs were, Noel Richards was the guy who who recorded them first, and a lot of people think that he wrote "We Want to See Jesus Lifted High." In fact, he talks about that. But um, he is an awesome, awesome, inspiring guy, and um, I'm good friends with his son Sam. And Sam, if you're listening to this, I love you, buddy. Thanks for listening to this. But uh, so I, I I have a unique relationship with Noel. I was actually privileged to go to England one summer when I was about 16 years old and be a part of his um, event at Wembley Stadium. For those of you who are in England, you probably remember that back in 97, I believe it was. He gathered several um, Christian artists at Wembley Stadium in London and filled the place, and it was just awesome to see the Lord show up in a powerful way. He had a vision to see the stadiums of the world filled with with worship. He had seen the stadiums filled with, obviously, football games and and uh, the world filling up their stadiums, but he thought, you know, the church should come together and fill up these stadiums, and sing songs to God about God, um, edify the church, and see the church go out from those places and impact their world. And that's been his vision. And um, he has seen that vision take place in multiple stadiums after that Wembley event. But it was an awesome time. I was I was a young guy. I was about sixteen, I think, at the time. And um, I was a guitar tech. You know, I got to walk out on stage and hand him his guitar, and um, it was such a cool moment. But um, guys like Delirious were part of that. Matt Redman. And uh, Darlene Sheck and the Hillsong crew came up from from Australia, and um, several other UK artists were a part of that as well. But what an awesome time it was! But anyway, I have Noel on the show, and I and I do not want to take up take up any more time because we have about an hour's worth of of back and forth. We talked about a lot, so um, I will highlight those again at the end of our interview quickly, along with some links for you. So here is my conversation with Noel Richards on this fifth edition of the CMB podcast. Well, I'm here with Noel Richards. He's a songwriter, a singer, a worship leader from the UK. He's he's been writing songs for years. He's put out more than 12 studio albums, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Noel, but um, I think you've put out a lot. But um, thank you for being with me today, man. It's it's great to have you. 
Yeah, quite a few over the years. Um, I'll take your word for it. It's probably about a dozen, something <laughs> well, like well, that. Well, I was yeah. counting a little earlier. I went <laughs> online and actually just wanted to go through them all. And I was like, wow, that's a lot. A lot right. of music. So, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So, well, the years go by. So, <laughs> anyway, it's great to be with you. Yeah, well, great to have you. Um, so, as we've already talked before the recording here, I'm, I'm really wanting to do this to serve songwriters, especially those who are getting started those who might be a little insecure about songwriting, they're not really sure what to do. They may be just on the worship team and they're wanting to get started. They may be a worship pastor and they've been writing for a while and they, they're wrestling with writer's block. You know, So there's a lot of folks who might be listening to this. Mm. But I'd like right. to start actually by maybe putting you on the spot and, and having you share with us the story of your first song, if you can remember um, the very first song you ever wrote. Yeah, I remember the very first song. It's one of those things that will stay with you yeah. forever. Uh, I was I was around nine years old at the time. And uh, growing up in a Pentecostal church where everything is forbidden unless it's compulsory, I certainly knew all there was to know about the depths of sin and despair <laughs> at nine years old. So I, uh, I wrote out this song. Um, I don't know where the inspiration came from, but... It, I was about nine years old, and I wrote this song about Jesus being my savior and washing me white as snow. It's, it's kind of funny because you're nine years old. It's not like you've had much time to, to get into the depths of sin. And it's, there's, one, there's one verse which was, you know, once I was a sinner, I'd wandered far away. Wow. <laughs> you know, I saw, it was all the stuff I'd, I'd heard in sermons and, and things. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I didn't have a melody for that, but um, the, the pastor in our church, he had a son who was very musical, and he put a tune to it. So I guess my very first song was a co-write. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and it's continued ever since. And no, I'm, I'm not going to give the listeners the benefit of listening to that song. Oh, I was going to say, come on, get it up it is play. so It is so twee and so naive, but uh, that's the writing of a nine-year-old. And that was, that's, that's my first memory. I've, I, was, I was digging out something in, in our old house in England Last year, and I found a, a, a book or a piece of a manuscript mm-hmm. with the, the melody scored out, which obviously this guy had done. Wow. But it's one of those things that will remain locked up in my memory. Yeah. I, may, I may do a recording so when I'm dead and I don't care, <laughs> it, it, it can get out, you know. But it really was a very naive song, typical of what a nine year old would write. And that's my that's first awesome. song. So, yeah, you're a nine year old church kid. You know, I was 12 when I wrote mine. I was a church kid as well. It's very similar. So, interesting. Very interesting. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Awesome. Yeah. So, now you were nine years old, but it wasn't until later that you knew that you wanted to do this for real in a serious way. Um, can you share with us about how that started and, and, and what that was like for you? Yeah. Yes. I mean, I started getting involved in music seriously when I was about 15. I, I I'd had a guitar when I was 11, a proper guitar, and the novelty soon wore off, but uh, I took it up again when I was 15. And actually that coincided with uh, a guy coming to pastor our church, um, and he was a young guy straight out of Bible college, and he would have been, I think, about seven or eight years older than me. And uh, he was in a band. But the music in those days, we're talking now, you know, 1969, when I was when I was 15 years old, the, the music that was around in those days was very much beat music, the Liverpool era, the Beatles sound, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So 
uh, that was his influence. That was the kind of band he was in. And he was a guitar player. So he began to just teach me more and more about playing the guitar. And, uh, and so that went hand in hand with thinking, well, maybe I can, I, I can do something. Uh, maybe, I can be a, I, maybe I can be a singer, you know, because my parents are musical. And in our church, we always used to have like a special song before the preach. So when I was about 15, 16, this guy that was pastor in the church began to give me the opportunity to play on a Sunday evening, maybe sing a song. Um, it was very much using other people's material, very old-fashioned gospel songs, things like that. But um, it wasn't long after that that I, I started thinking, well, maybe I could write some songs myself because I was, I was seeing that there were a lot of singer-songwriters beginning to emerge. And I thought, well, maybe I could have a go at yeah. that. So uh, that's what I started doing, started to write about my faith, uh, as a 15, from the perspective of a 15-year-old, 16-year-old, 17-year-old as I was getting older and um, began to use those in various situations and that's where it all started. Uh, in those days, there wasn't what I would call the, the great worship movement that exists today uh, or if you like, you know, the worship movement has become a bit of a, a worship industry but there was nothing like that in those days so... I never thought of writing songs that congregations would sing because, as I often say jokingly when I do my seminars, you know, we were just singing songs that were written by dead people, people who, you know, existed 200 years ago, the great hymns of Wesley. Yeah. So the idea that I could write a song that people would use in corporate worship today didn't even cross my mind until probably another 10 years later, maybe. Mm -hmm. So it started off using music as a means of communicating the values of my faith. Mm. That's great, and 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 so I mean, you were you were a teenager. You were fifteen, sixteen. That started to happen. Yeah. Do you remember the first worship song that you wrote? When and how did that start to happen? And and um, the one that you know you really felt like, wow, this is something that is from the Lord. You were proud of it. You were happy to to use it and uh, and to see God use it. You know. Yeah. Well, what happened was in in the late seventies. My wife and I, Trish uh, and I, we were part of a youth church in a city in the west of England uh, called Plymouth. It's right on the coast in the southwest of England. So that's where we were. And I found myself now involved in leading worship. In fact, you know, again, it, we were just learning as, as we went along. There were no worship seminars. There were no, there was no great input for us. We just basically knew that every time we came together, we wanted to sing songs because that was... That was a part of being together as a church. And we were beginning to use songs from sources. For example, in those days, uh, Scripture and Song of New Zealand were uh, the kind of hill song of the day, if you like, or the Bethel music, Jesus culture of the day. So we were using those contemporary songs. I, I, I remember one day thinking, well, maybe I could do this. Maybe I could write a song for the church to sing. And um, I think the second song that I wrote was actually the first song I got published in 1983. Mm. And this was a song called Lord and Father, King Forever. Mm -hmm. And it was only four lines long. And uh, I wrote that in 1979. Mm. And in those days, you know, we, we called them worship choruses because literally they were just four lines, eight lines mm -hmm. long. They weren't great epics with a a verse or two verses and a chorus and a bridge and a middle eight and all of that. It was just a very simple mm -hmm. song. 
and um, we began to use that. And then in 1983, the church that Trish and I were in was involved in recording a lot of the, the, the new, fresh worship songs that were around, and that was one that got selected, and that was the first song that got published. And I've been with the same publisher ever since for the last, you know, 20 years. I know, 83, 93, I think 30 years. Mm. So I've been with the same publisher now for the last 30 wow. years, and they've looked after all the songs yeah. that uh, I've written, that Trish and I have written. But it started with just a four-line four line song. Mm-hmm. Many people will know um, of your song, All Heaven Declares. Um, yeah. Can you, can you share with us the story about the, how that song came to be? Was that around the same time or a few years later? I think that was, yeah. Yes, that was another, that was back in uh, 1987. Okay. So that was uh, several years later. And we weren't very prolific in terms of worship songs. At that time, I, although I was leading worship, I was still thinking in terms of using music as a means to communicate our, our faith and values to an audience that has no faith. Mm. Um, and so leading worship was something that I did on the weekend. Mm. And occasionally, maybe I, I put my hand to writing a worship song, if it came about. Um, and what happened was I was uh, in our bedroom at home in England, and I had my guitar in open tuning. So it was in uh, open G. And I was playing with uh, different chord shapes. And just to say here that, you know, one of the things that I find helpful is, is to use open tuning mm. because that gives you a whole new raft of sounds that you normally wouldn't get um, just by using the conventional tuning on a six-string guitar. Yeah, that's good. And those, those, those sounds really inspire you. And so I, I got this, just this melody that really inspired Trish. She walked in the room and she stopped and she said, I've, you know, that, that's a great melody. Why don't we work on, on some lyrics? And it just happened within a couple of hours. We, we wrote the song and it just, it's one of those songs that, that flows off the yeah. pen. Uh, that occasionally happens. Mm-hmm. And I, I may, comment on this a bit later but a friend of mine in the states she she's a, a bit of a brain box and, and she came up with this phrase i'm sure it's not original but she said you know we have these right brain bursts so mm-hmm. we have the left brain which is logic mm-hmm. which says okay that line doesn't work or that line will work and then what what happens is you get this right brain burst of creativity where suddenly um it's like you've opened a floodgate yeah. And, and these words come out, like a phrase comes out, and you've been wrestling all day with trying to get a verse or a chorus or whatever, and suddenly everything just clicks into yeah. place. Um, and, um, and so it's that, that just basically happened. We had just one of those creative bursts where I got the melody and Trish said, I've got some words, and I helped, and we knocked this out in a couple of That's hours. So cool. And it's, it's become probably one of our most... Our most, our most well-known yeah. songs, you know, and it's still sung today. So it's great, and, and it wasn't necessarily edited and gone back to and you know through different drafts. You're saying it just kind of came, and maybe you've, maybe you worked on a few things, but it was pretty much done, huh? Yeah, that's right. And the strange thing is, I mean, if I was writing it now, I probably wouldn't write it. <laughs> just you mean in terms of the because, way you write? You mean? Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like those lyrics now, in one sense. Because, for example, I'll, I'll just sing this, you know. 
forever he will be. That's yeah. fine, but this next line, the lamb upon the throne. Okay, now we've got sheep sitting on thrones. What's that all yeah. about? To somebody who's not a Christian, right. you see. Um, and there's the second verse, I will proclaim the glory of the risen Lord. Now, what is it? Um, uh, all heaven declares the glory of the risen uh, I can't For remember the words, but it was yeah. that, 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 that lamb that was slain. Uh, for every will be the lamb upon I the throne. The knee, and I just got this right? funny. Yes, that's right. So that, I can't remember my own songs now. <laughs> uh, but but it's like the lamb upon the throne. It's one of those things that's meaningless to the guy in the street. And I suppose I'm, I'm coming at this with my, you know, how can we make the gospel intelligent to people who 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 have no understanding? We know what it means, the lamb upon the throne. Um, but that picture, that image of a of a of a of a, a sheep. You know, sitting on a gilded throne will surely, um, you know, be a puzzle to somebody who has no faith whatsoever. So, but, you know, I'm nitpicking there, but that's just, again, to say that, you know, as we write our songs, we've got to think how, how they'll be received, you know, and, and that song works, you know. But like I say, probably now I'd be too critical of it to, to put a line like that out and say, no, we can't say that now. And I think that's what happens as you, as you get older, you become more critical of what you do. So it becomes harder to write because you lose that spontaneity. Uh, I remember being in school and our art teacher said to us, he said, the trouble is now you're all teenagers. You've lost the ability to be creative because now you're worried about what your friends will think about what you put on a piece of paper. Wow. He said, well, when you're eight or nine years old, you know, you'd, or six years old, you draw a matchstick man and go, that's daddy. <laughs> and, or you know, a box with, with some circles in that's a car. He says, and you were creative, but now you've lost that creativity because you're trying, you're trying mm. to make something that's good. Mm. Well, that's, that's insane. And uh, I think obviously, you know, we want to strive to write good stuff, but I think the older we get, the more critical of ourselves we become, and so we don't splurge it all out. Mm. Now, my wife is much more of, of, a, of a person that, that splurges out. This is, look at this, um, this gives you an idea. This is total chaos. This is my wife, right, who's... We, we've co-written most of, of the songs together. You often think of them as Noel Richards songs, but they're actually Trisha and Noel Richards. But we've just been working on a song these last few days, and I've got here one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten pages of stuff here that she's been scribbling, <laughs> just randomly scribbling while we're working on this song. And, um, and that's the way she writes. She just writes it all down, and then we find the lines that, that work. It's awesome. Whereas I'd I probably go on one sheet of paper, but she's very different in the way she writes. She just likes it. Get it all down, and let's tidy it up afterwards. That's awesome. You know, I, on, on, in the car this morning, I was thinking about our interview, and um, one question that really popped in my mind was, was to ask you about your, your writing process, knowing that you and Trish have written so many songs together. And, and you know, there's... Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was almost like, man, I, I wish she should be she should be a part of this, really. But um, I'd love to hear you talk more about that. Um, I mean, you've been writing, you, you, the two of you have been writing together for, I guess, as, as soon as you started. And Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, Since before we were married. I, you know, I, I'm married, and um, I'm, a, I'm a writer, too. But it, I've found that it's just been, we, we've talked about it, but it's kind of difficult to fit it into life. We have an eight-month-old baby. And I'm sure there are seasons, but... Can you speak to that, how that's been for you in the process over the years, how the two of you have worked together? Um, yeah, I, I think Trish is the one that's gifted with the lyrics. 
and I tend to come up with the melodies. And uh, I'll give you an example of a song we wrote um, called You Are My Passion. And I, I, I got this melody in the middle of a leading worship at a church meeting. So uh, I quickly rushed home from the meeting because I didn't want to forget the melody. But uh, it, it came, I think, during a time of ministry. So I was playing in the background and I, I, I suddenly got this melody and I thought, wow, um, this will be good. So I came rushing home and I said, Trish, I've got this melody. And I played it to her and she said, well, I, I, I've got some words that I think will fit that. And she literally had a sheet of words that she had been looking for a tune. And I've often described it as it's a little bit like, um, you know, when you, you do a construction job and you bring a piece of equipment to the site and you've got the room to put it all in or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you just have to chip it away a little bit, a bit of chip a bit of the wall off here just to make it fit or you know, and that's all literally we had to do, just edit those words a little bit to make them fit with the melody that I had and it, they worked perfectly. And again, it was just like an hour's work. But she she had those words waiting for a tune. I had a tune that was looking for, for lyrics and to just just fit together perfectly. That's one example. Mm -hmm. Um it's it's not easy to say right. Well, let's sit down and write a song today because you know the inspiration might not be there. So we we're working on a project at the moment where we, we're we're trying to come up with half a dozen songs that we want to record. Um, but it's it's um, it's a challenge when you sit down every day with a blank sheet and say, well, let's come up with a melody. And then when you come up with a melody, let's find okay, let's find a, a, a lyrical hook line that will go with that. Um, but then that's just, you know, a lot of the time it's, you know, it's a mix, a mix of inspiration and uh, perspiration, as somebody once said. And we were working on this song yesterday, which um, is just about taking time and just slowing down in the pace mm -hmm. of life. And we finished it and we've been working on like a like a chorus thing for several days, trying to get the lines right. And eventually we got it exactly as we wanted it. And as, as literally as we're putting everything away. Um, I, I played a melody and came up with a phrase and we, we got a third verse in five minutes wow. after like several days of working. Mm -hmm. But it's like, hey, write this down. I think we've got this. I think this this now is the icing on the cake. We had the cake, but now we found something that's the yeah. icing. But, you know, I don't, you just got to sit down and work together and slog through it. And um, and that's what we do. And um, it's it's, you know... I find it, it works for me because I've been doing it all, all my life. Yeah. Saying, Trisha, I've got a melody. Does that inspire you? And then when she gets inspired, then she can write. And then, and then I listen, look at what she's written. I go, yeah, that'll fit. That'll work. Or then I come in with my editing mm -hmm. uh, hat and do it. But it's like I get a melody that inspires her. And if I do that, then, then we, we're, we're cooking on gas. So it really that. helps that the two of you have I mean, music, lyrics, just almost... That's like your job description, but it comes together to really complement each other. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what you've got to do as well is you've, you've got to keep a file of all your lyrics and keep a file of all your melodies. So on my my MacBook here, I've got all my tunes mm -hmm. that I, I write. Whenever I get a melody, I'll, I'll just record them straight to the to, to the MacBook, mm -hmm. and then when we've got a few days, we've got some ideas to to play with. And you know, I sometimes, like I did last year, I just gave her the whole file of tunes and said, "Listen to them and see if anything grabs you." 
find out what grabs you, and if you've got words for that. And Trish is continually writing words. And occasionally I'll get words as well that I'll write. So it's not totally, it's not totally me music and, right. and Trish lyrics. Yeah. It's, it's a marriage of the two. But invariably I come with the initial melody. Trish goes, mm, you, could, you could make that a bit mm. better. And she comes with the lyrics, and I go, yeah, we can make that a bit better. That's great. So. And the, a, another question I had about that, I, I know you've, you've co-written with several others as well, but, but one that's always mm-hmm. been very intriguing to me is your relationship with your, your pastor over the years, Gerald Coates. And I know he's, he's yeah. written a few with you, and, and you know there are so many yeah. worship leaders who would, who would hear that and be like, seriously, like, how do you write a song with, with the senior pastor? I mean, that's just, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of being funny there, but yeah. um, that'd be awesome to hear about how that happened for you guys. Yeah, well, I think I think for us it was it was not so much senior pastor and musician. We were just a couple of yeah. friends hanging out yes, together, um, and I, I think that's really important as well. So uh, we, you know, when Trish and I moved to Cobham in Surrey, which is just outside of uh, just outside of London in England, um, you know, we we struck up a friendship with Gerald and his wife. Um, in fact, we had a friendship before that, but. Um, we weren't working together all the time. It was hanging out, having meals together, eating and drinking together, building friendship. So it wasn't me sitting down and saying, well, Mr. Senior Pastor, what what would you like me to write about? Right. It was actually, he's very musical and very creative. He's a writer as well. And he loves music. So he, he'd co-written with other people as well, just simply because he's a frustrated musician. You know, so... <laughs> We, we found ourselves on one occasion uh, in Germany um, doing a co- just a little conference and we had a de- uh, sort of half a day free and he just said, have you got any ideas? And I said, well, I, six months ago I said, I got this phrase. So I'd been playing at um, a gig at a very famous venue in England, Newcastle City Hall, up in the north of England where the Beatles once played and, and I was leading worship and in the, towards the end... I just got this phrase, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. I'm in the wrong key, but you know, it should be in G or A. Pour out your spirit, we pray. And then I sang it again, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. Pour out your spirit on us today. So I had that. And that was the hook line musically and lyrically for the song. And uh, Joe said, well, I really like that. that. That's great. So what do we want to write about? And so we actually sat down and sketched out a kind of a plan for the song. So it's a three-verse song. And it starts off uh, with the phrase, great is the darkness. And, you know, that's not what you start a song off. It should be great is the Lord or great is... Great is the great light. Is... <laughs> yeah. yeah. We just wrote great is the darkness and painted a, a bleak picture yeah. right. of, um, of, of the world. Mm-hmm. Then the second verse was about the church rising up and making a difference. Mm-hmm. And the third verse is looking forward to that time when Christ returns. So there's a, a progression from, if like, darkness to despair. And uh, the, the words, you know, great is the darkness that covers the earth, oppression, injustice, and pain. Uh, nations are slipping in hopeless despair, though many have come in your name. And there were this great line, which I'm not sure if it was Gerald's or mine. I think it was Gerald. He said, watching while sanity dies, mm-hmm. touched by the madness and lies. I said, I've put that in a worship song, watching while sanity dies, touched by the madness and lies, come Lord Jesus. So it's painting a black picture, but unless Jesus comes, mm-hmm. you know, 
things won't change, but it worked. Yeah. And, you know, the song is sung, you know, all around the UK. It's in, in the CCLI uh, top 500 in the UK. And um, it, it just works. And those words, it, it, you know, you've, you've got to write, I, I'm a firm believer in, you know, writing truth in a fresh way. Mm-hmm. So let's stop using the old, well-worn cliches. You know, we don't need awesome in a worship song anymore. We don't want lift, I lift my hands to you, or glory to God, or, you know, I'm, I'm being a little bit um, provocative here. Mm. But, you know, every song, I could, I could write 10 worship songs today just by taking standard lines off the songwriting supermarket shelf. Mm-hmm. But to take a, a verse like that, you know, which has, you know, like, it sums it up in just that one verse... Um, oppression and justice and pain. Nations are slipping in hopeless despair, though many have come in your name, watching while sanity dies, touched by the madness and lies. Come, Lord Jesus, it's a prayer to God. But it's also, you know, it's been used regularly in, in churches up and down mm-hmm. the UK. And what's interesting is the, 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 there's no light and shade in the first few lines, so it's one note. Great is the darkness that covers the oh, yeah. earth. And it goes down. Right, right. Oppression, injustice, and pain. Yeah. Nations are slipping in hopeless despair. Though many have come in yeah. your name. So it's really dark. And then it sort of opens up. Watching while sanity dies. Mm-hmm. It begins to climb. Touched by the madness and lies. Mm-hmm. Come, Lord Jesus. So you, you, you've got a really low verse but builds up to this you know climactic come Lord Jesus so it works yeah. you know musically as well as lyrically so um, that's great yeah um, this would be a great time to maybe um, transition into talking about some practical things and, and the craft of writing um, you know one one thing that's always struck me with you is a, I remember actually hearing you at, it was at a worship conference somewhere and you were doing a, a, yeah. a um a breakout session on songwriting. And, and one of the things that really impacted me that I'll never forget was just how important syllables are <laughs> just a, a simple thing oh, like that, right. you know? And, um, yeah. And, you know, for you, you're like, you've already, dis- like you've already said, you're a musician, um, and you're musical and you come out with melodies primarily and you're working with folks who write lyrics, but you're fitting this into that. And that must be, um, I don't know. I guess the question is, 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 is what do you say to someone who's starting out and they're, um, they're, they're not, you know, obviously they have to get out a lot of songs before there are probably any good ones, but like little things like mm-hmm. syllables, um, internal rhyme, the, the little devices in our writing that, that are important. What, what would you say to someone in terms of learning that kind of stuff? Yes. I mean, it's, it's kind of difficult because, you know, you can look at, the, if you like, the the nuts and bolts, the mechanics of what makes a song great. Mm-hmm. But you could do all of that and it still doesn't have that virality about it. You know, the phrase that we have today is, has something gone viral? Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of rubbish on, on YouTube, for example, but it goes viral because somehow it connects with people. Yeah. And yet it's not, it's not great art. It's it maybe is you know for example the, one of the ones that springs to mind is Charlie bit my finger. Yeah. It's a kid biting, getting his finger bitten by his brother, and that just went viral. Yeah. yeah. So what's what you know? Well, I guess the key to stuff that's viral today is what you know what is quirky, what's unusual. Mm. 
So I think, you know, what we're looking for when we're writing a song is, has it got that little spark that makes it viral? But at the end of the day, um, you can write great songs, but, for example, a song can come along that's not as creative, and yet it goes further and further. So let me, let me give you an example. Um, well, I, I won't play it, but um, we want to see Jesus lifted high. Mm. Um, maybe, maybe your listeners will have sung that yeah. at some point. But the guy that was playing guitar in my band, who's a children's worker, he came to me and said, I've got this song, and it's worked well on a Sunday. Can we do it? And I said, well, play it to me. And I didn't really like it because I didn't think it was that good. <laughs> and then I played it, and it worked. It, it went viral. Everywhere we play it, people love yeah. it. And that was 1993 I first started playing it. I've been playing it ever since. So 20 years yeah. on, you know, there's almost every concert I do because people think it's my song because I made it popular because I recorded it and then we did this big stadium event and it went on a CD that sold half a million copies in the US. So I go to all these places and people say, well, we like your music and we love your songs. I say, which one? And they say, we want to see Jesus lifted high. I go, well, I didn't write that one. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and it's such a simple song. It's it's almost childish. It's written for children, I think. You know, we want to see, we want to see Jesus lifted high, but it works. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's got that. It's got it's got everything. It's got it's got the hook lines. It's got several hook lines. Yeah. You know, um, you know, we want to see, we want to see Jesus lifted high, step by step. We're moving. It's got it's got all those things happening. It's got like like it's got the light and shade, the up and mm -hmm. down. You know, because like a melody has to go up. We wanna see it's going up and down. Jesus lifted high. Mm. When you sing high, it goes mm. up. A banner that flies and it's going up again on the word mm. flies across this land and it's dropping down. That all men up and down may see the truth and know. Then it goes up. He is the way going up to heaven. Yeah. We wanna see. We wanna see. We wanna see. So it's going up all the time. Jesus, up and down, lifted, up and down, high. So a, a good song musically has to have those dynamics. Mm -hmm, that's good. So it's a simple song, but it, it's got all the dynamics in it, yeah, you see. Yeah. So musically it's got light and shade. It's got hook lines in it. It's 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 a wash with hook lines. Yeah, it is. But people often dismiss it as being a very simplistic song. And it is a simple song. It doesn't have to be clever to mm -hmm. work. Look at pop songs. Mm -hmm. You know, it's uh, what works. Uh, it's the stuff that catches people's imagination. So you're looking, you're looking for those those lyrical hooklines. You're looking for the light and shade, the the up and down dynamics. That that's what makes a good song. So when Trish and I wrote "All Heaven Declares," we didn't realize that we were creating those musical dynamics. Mm. So in the, in the chorus, and I've got the guitar tuned in, on the thing. So so it goes up forever. He then down will be down and mm -hmm. up. The Lamb upon the throne. So it's going up and down all the way through. I gladly bow the knee mm -hmm. and worship him mm -hmm. alone. And then you think of the, the song that Chris Tomlin co-wrote, you know, How Great Is Our God. How great is our God. Mm -hmm. Then up, it goes up. Sing with me. How great yeah. is our God. Mm -hmm. So it's going, going up and down all the time. It's got that movement. It just moves, yeah. So you need that... that you need that musical movement, the, the light and shade, yeah. the dynamics, and, and then you fit the words around that. And it's finding words that, that really 
are just a little bit fresh. Mm -hmm. That people, oh, I've not sung that mm -hmm. before. I think it's possibly that's why Matt Redman's Ten Thousand Reasons ends up getting two Grammy Awards because it's a very unusual thing. It's it's probably not his greatest song, but it's a great mm -hmm. song. Yeah, you know, I, there's there's other songs. Maybe he was. I don't know. I've not talk, talked to Matt about this, um, but it's got that one line in it. You know, ten thousand reasons. Yeah, ten thousand more than ten thousand years to. You know, so right. it, it it grabs you. It's an original thing. So I think that's why yeah. it works. It's a it's an original phrase that's not been used before. That's, it's unusual. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you're you're hitting on a lot of good things there. I mean, so many things are popping in my head here. Um, one thing that I'm reminded of is. I mean, you, you've already told the story of we want to see Jesus lifted high, but a lot of your earlier records, you would you'd know where these songs were that you know guys like a children's pastor or whoever he was, a ch children's mm -hmm. singer, wrote and and yeah. and you and you brought them to the world. People think they were your song, yeah. but you were able to recognize good songs. I guess like I could sing of your love forever or Awaken the Dawn. I mean, these yeah. songs that everybody knows about now. Yeah. Um, so yes. yeah. Yeah, and it's it's when you look at I Could Sing of Your Love Forever again, you think, why does this work? Because the chorus is I could sing of your love forever, I could sing of your love forever, I could sing of your love forever, I could sing of your love forever. It's like, what? But the first time I heard it, the first time I heard Martin Smith singing it, we were in a small group sitting in a room, and I said, Martin, lead us in some worship. And he said, I've just written this, and I, was, I can't record that. It's just like, it's fantastic, because it, 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 it got me. Yeah, yeah. You know, so... Um, and again, it's a song I've been singing for 20 years. And, you know, Martin did a guest vocal when I did my original recording of it. Because Martin was just starting out as a yeah. songwriter then, in, in one sense. Um, so he kind of did a guest vocal for me. And I felt, no, I'm, I'm promoting this song. Uh, but didn't realize what a huge song it would be. But again, it was that, that unusual, you see, over the mountains and the sea. Yeah. Your river runs with love for me, and I will open up my heart and let the healer set me free. You know, when you analyze it, the, the lines are kind of quite unusual. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm happy to be in your truth, and I will gladly raise my hands. That doesn't even rhyme. Yeah. For I will always sing of when your love came down. So, you know, coming back to the, the question you asked me, you know, it doesn't always have to rhyme. Yeah. There's implied rhyme, right. you know. Um, around with will will rhyme with crown, mm -hmm. you know. Found, uh, you know. Find another word. Um, heaven could rhyme with given, mm -hmm. you know. So it's it's got a similar sound. It's implied rhyme. It's not actual yeah, near rhyme. rhyme. Yeah. Um, so yeah, near rhyme. That's right. Use lyrical and music repetition. Uh, all the great songs um, have have lyrical and. Uh, Musical repetition. But you mean like repeating a, a line that's already been said once or twice? Um, in the, the chorus. chorus, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah as I was thinking about it in my half-awake state this morning, there's a band in England called Take That. Uh, they're a huge vocal band. And um, it's a guy called Robbie Williams oh, yeah. who was uh, mm. uh, in that band. And uh, then they split up, then they came back together a few years ago, and they had some massive hits in the UK. But there's one song, We Can Rule the World. And uh, I can't even give you the lyrics because I, I don't know the lyrics, but I, I love the song. I, I, every time you know you, you hear them playing it, it's fantastic. But twice in the chorus, they have the hook line, We Can Rule the World. You know, and it's just like, so it's like a... 
think it's a six-line chorus, but the third and sixth lines, they've got that phrase, we can rule the world. Mm-hmm. And then when you see that being sung in a stadium, because they've played stadium gigs, and you just see 30,000 people singing it, you think, wow, that's, in- that's incredible. Mm-hmm. So they've got that line that people identify mm-hmm. with. So there's a repetition there musically and lyrically, twice in the chorus. So uh, the Beatles, you know, repetition, she loves you, yeah, 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 she loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and with a love like that, you know, it can't be yeah. bad. You know? So they're, they're, they were, the, you know, they're just fantastic. Yeah. Lennon and McCartney. That's good. Now, as far as writer's block, what, is, is there yeah. one piece of advice that you might give to someone who hasn't maybe written a song in years or they're just really down on everything they do and they just are so uninspired, they just... They don't know what to do. What's one thing you might say to them, like one piece of advice, practical or, or insightful, whatever you might have? Mm. Uh, this, this is a, a difficult question. Um, I've, I've not got to a point where I, I, I can't write yeah. um, because I've been, I've been writing um, all my life. But I'm not a prolific writer. Some people are very prolific. So... I'm I'm more kind of the occasional writer when the inspiration strikes or when when there's a deadline. A friend of mine, Graham Kendrick, was once asked, "What comes first, you know, the melody or the lyrics?" And he said, "Neither. It's the deadline." <laughs> so often when there's when there's a deadline, that can be quite a motivation yeah. to uh, to come up with some creative ideas because I think we can drift, and I'll get round to it. I, I I think what we've got to do is is just simply. Um, Get our, if we're guitar players, if we're a musician, I'm, I suppose it's easy for me to talk as a musician. It's just a question of, of um, just sitting down with your guitar and, and playing and rediscovering your love of the instrument. Mm-hmm. And don't, don't try and write a song. Mm-hmm. Just, just, just make some music. Just play. Just, just do it. Yeah. Just relax. I think when we, when we think, oh, I've got to write, I've got to write, then nothing will come. But I said earlier about this right brain burst. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I've um, I worked with a guy on a song a couple of years back, and we just couldn't get it. We couldn't crack it. And at the end of several hours of writing together, we had the melody, we had the idea, with most of the lyrics. And I had to take him from our house to the station to catch his train back to London. And in the five minutes in that car, going from our house to the station, we finished the song because suddenly. We both had this explosion of ah, that's what we've been trying to say, and we we scribbled it down, and we were done, you know. But it it's it's like you've got to do the work, and then suddenly this this thing happens. Yeah. But I, I would I would say just sit down with your guitar and and don't try too hard, mm. and and then whatever whatever comes, just write stuff down. Mm. It might not be any good, but just just begin to to write once again. Um, but again, don't sit down and think, I've got to write a song. Um, just sit down and, and enjoy making music for the joy of making music. That's good. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We discovered that. Love. That's, that's awesome. That, and that's one of the reasons I'm really wanting to, to do this, this podcast, the website, everything I'm launching here is really about, hopefully, um, serving people to lead them to a place of, of just loving songwriting for the sake of loving that. You know, not thinking mm-hmm. of any goal in mind or, or, or you know but just loving the, the craft of writing so yes I can I just interject yeah. there you know I, I think you know one of the great things that's happened over the last 30 years is that we've seen 
um, churches come alive in terms of the, the sung worship. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's fantastic to see that. But for me, the, the, the negative of all of that is that now I think people are thinking, if, I, if only I can just write a big, big hit song. You know, because we never had people writing hit worship songs. Right. You know, we never had somebody like a Matt Redman winning a Grammy. Mm-hmm. But now when you've got a, a congregational song that somehow gets that profile, um, I think, you know, you can begin to think, wow, um, let's really write a great mm-hmm. song. You know, and then we can retire to our condo in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got to keep our motivations for writing. You know, that we write because we love to write. That's good. And, and, and I think, again, you know, we can think in, in terms of the big audience – but I spent a, a wonderful, inspiring evening with a, a friend of mine from Canada towards the end of last year. And what he's doing now is he's, he's touring, uh, doing house concerts. And uh, he's not playing in the big arenas. He's done those. But he's just very satisfied taking his guitar into somebody's front room of an evening and playing to 30 or 40 people and leaving a little bit of himself with that audience. Mm. And, you know, he's a journeyman. He's on the, on the road. That's what he does. So I think we've, we've got to realize that there's, there's so many avenues out there for us to write into. Yeah. And not, you know, don't get discouraged if somehow we, we don't see our songs being used widely. Mm-hmm. Let's use our songs where we are. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's what Trish and I are doing right now with our songs. We're, we're saying, well, we're meeting a lot of people that are outside the church. How can we write songs that they can understand? Yeah. How can we put our values in, in, into a song that they can understand and go, yeah, I, I, I identify with that. I agree with that. You know, that, that rings a bell with me. So it's been easier in one sense writing congregational songs because you know what your audience is and, you know, we all know the phrases. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of been a challenge to say, well, how can we now take these treasures that we have and write for an audience that maybe has never been inside mm-hmm. a church? But that's where the big audience is. Mm-hmm. Because there's a, an awful lot of people in our world that don't darken the doors of a church That's building. Right. So the audience for music is phenomenal, and uh, and so I would say to you, to the writers that are listening on this, don't just confine your writing to worship songs, yes. and don't always think I've got to write a hit song. Right. You know, just write a good yep. song. Write a good yep. song. There's so many good songs out there that don't become hit songs, but they're great mm. songs. You That's know, very good. They don't have the profile of, of other songs, but they they are they're wonderful pieces of art. So just be the best you can and create your own audience. Yeah. That's very very good. I remember actually yeah, recently uh, you did a little review and spoke into one of my songs that I had written, uh-huh. and um, I, I remember very well. I had at the end of the song it was just whole, "You are holy, holy, holy" or something is what I had, had written, and you really challenged me on yeah. that and. Um, you know, I think it's. Uh, I was actually uh, in an email conversation with one of the folks who, who have actually subscribed to the website now. But they were talking about how we, we sing that in churches, but most people don't really even know what it really means anymore. It has become so, like you said, yes. like you're saying, cliche. And then, I mean, obviously, a, a person outside the church wouldn't know at all what it means. But even the folks in the mm-hmm. church, they'll sing it and. and most of the time, they don't even know what it means. <laughs> so, in terms of the its original, yes. uh, you know, holy is, was not always this amazing moment. It was like, oh my gosh, 
terrible moment. God is so other than me, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. That's right. And, and, and the other thing is, I, I think that a lot of our corporate worship is not for God. You know, uh, most of our corporate worship is for us. Because as somebody once said, you know, God doesn't need our worship. He's not inadequate. So um, if we if we stop worshiping, God doesn't have a, have a great insecurity complex about that because he is all-sufficient. He is complete. But he's given us this desire, if you like, or this great gift to worship. And most of what we do, our rituals on a Sunday... Um, our order of service, it's not for God. It is actually for us because, you know, we we get something out of it. And the number of people that come up to me and say, you know, that that blessed me this morning, you know. So I, I think if we can find ways in which we are writing songs for the, the building up and encouragement of mm-hmm. the church, mm-hmm. For example, you know, I've used the phrase before, our God is an awesome God. It's not for God. That's for yeah, us yeah. to get a grip. Our God is an awesome yeah. God. If we get hold of that, you know, if we know the fact that our God is holy and therefore our lives need to, need to measure up to what he is and who he is, I, I think it's for us. It's not for God. You know, when we sing how great is our God, you know, we're not singing it to God. We're actually singing it to one another. How great is our God? Sing with me. How great is our God? So when we begin to look at the lyrics of what we're singing, most of what we're doing is actually for ourselves. And I think that's a great role of the songwriter and the worship leader is to build up and encourage the church Um, and and to give people uh, a sense, um, uh, an awareness of God's presence, you know, because God is... God is real. It's good. We we need to connect with God. In the busyness of life, in our life, we we don't always connect with God. So the role that we have as songwriters is to help people to reconnect with God. Now we use a phrase, you know, like leading people into God's presence. I'm not sure that that is wholly what we're doing. Mm-hmm. We're actually helping people to encounter the God that's within them. You know, because you know, Christ has come to us by His Spirit, yeah. so He is He is within us. So it's helping people to recognize, yeah, and and reconnect with the God that's come to them and the God that's come to us. Very good. So, whether we're in a church or in a club, then we can take people into that place where they encounter the presence of God, which is a wonderful thing to do. It's so good. it's a wonderful privilege. Yeah. It's awesome, and you have done that many times, man. Your songs are very good and have been used by God, and I'm sure they will continue to be. I have one final question for you, if if we yes. can talk about that. It's basically a question about what you're currently doing, and um, you've already shared this a number of times, So, but maybe you can speak a little bit more to it. Something that you, you've recently introduced into your writing process, perhaps, um, maybe a new method or a new tool. I mean, it could be very practical. Um, Hmm. That that maybe in the last couple of years you've you've found to be an inspirational way to write. Um, hmm. Well, what's what's really helped us in the last six, three or four months is um, is the Kaiser Capo. <laughs> yeah, the, the cut down Capo. This is a blue one. Um, I'm not sure what it does, but it, it basically it, 
it's a it's a it's a ready-made. I'm 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 putting it near the camera there so you can see it. It's got a lever on it there. Oh wow! So what this capo does is it or capo does it's covering the um, the third, the fourth, and the fifth strings. And then it's leaving the first, the second, and the sixth open. So it gives you an open tuning. Well, now, yeah, I've seen that they make them that are shorter, but this has a, uh, something else on it, you're saying? like a. It's got a lever, so you can hammer down the bottom E. So when you're playing an E minor shape, for example, with your third and fourth fingers, you keep the first finger free to hammer down. Oh, wow, that's cool. I've never... Yeah, I've never seen that. And then because, and then you've got, you know, uh, A minor. And you can so do all sorts of things. Yeah. So when you're hammering down with that little uh, part, does that do yeah. both? First and, two, first and second string, uh, or is that just the first string? That's a hammering yeah. effect. That's cool, man. Yeah. So that's that's beautiful. Then you can sort of play open open chords, new chords altogether. Do you know what it's what it's called? Is it a particular kind of Kaiser capo? It's, Kaiser or something? It's my, made by Kaiser. It's um, I'm not sure which one this is. They do a double drop D. Mm -hmm. The blue one is actually, there is the Kaiser advertising here. Uh, that's the shortcut, dadgad. Oh, yeah. It's a dadgad. So basically, I mean dadgad. So that's right. So that's... So, you know... It's lovely, yeah. So that's that. And then I've got the white one, which is an open G. So... The white open G covers uh, the second, third, and fourth strings. Wow. Okay. I have been really out Leaves of it. the first, fifth, sixth. <laughs> I've been so out of it in capo. But I, I haven't even seen this. It's awesome. And you got all... That's awesome, yeah. Very good. So, and the final one, which is the open G. So go to the Kaiser website and be inspired. That leaves the top E and the bottom E open. So just the two strings, first and sixth string, are open on that yeah. one. Wow. And that will inspire you because it's like having three new guitars. Man, no joke. I mean, I, I know it's, there's something about sitting down at, at a new instrument or, a, or one that's not even yours. It might be the same instrument, but it's not your yeah. instrument. And all of a sudden, yeah. it opens up all these right brain possibilities. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much again for, for being on, on the show, man. And I did have one more question before I forget it. So are you working on a new album? Yes, we're working on, um, on an EP at the moment. We're thinking maybe just do something five or six tracks, which um, is easy for people to access. Yeah. Seems like a lot of people are doing that more and more these days, EPs and yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, if you've got five great songs, let's do an EP rather than do five great songs and five fillers. Yeah. You know, so um, so we're just working on these songs. They're they're songs about our, our journey, they're songs about our faith. But hopefully they're they're songs that we can 
uh, sing to a wider audience. I, I guess one of the things that um, I feel is that we need to now have a, a bit of a transition because the pendulum has gone so far to uh, people just solely writing worship songs. Yeah. yeah. That we've 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 lost the the um, I guess the the vision, if you like, to to write songs that people can just sit down and listen to. Mm, that's good. And I started off listening to the singer songwriters. You know, like I grew up loving Cat Stevens and James Taylor and all all those people. Mm-hmm. And we would sit down and listen to their songs. And uh, I think the songwriter has an ability to be a storyteller. You know, let's write some stories that people can listen to. So again, you know, if you feel called to to lead people into worship, and that's where you feel that's that's where God is placing you, then then do it and do it with all your heart. But I, I do feel that um, you know every new album that comes out at the moment seems to be a worship album. Yeah, it seems like it. Yeah. You know, and it's like we've reached the saturation point. You know, we've got Jesus Culture, we've got Chris Tomlin, we've got. Michael W. Smith, we've got Matt Redman, we've got Hill Songs, we've got Vineyard. It's, uh, you can't take all these new songs. You take a lifetime to get them introduced to your church. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, we now, I think, need to encourage writers to to take this wonderful message of truth out into our our world and, and, and reach an even wider audience and you know, I grew up using music in evangelism. So we need to get back to maybe seeing some of that happening. That's good, man. You know, of, of people come going out and being musical evangelists once again, and playing in the coffee bars, mm-hmm. the coffee shops, uh, you know, and, and reaching a, an unchurched audience. Yeah. Um, yeah. Otherwise, we're just adding another worship song to the tens of thousands that are now coming out every year. <laughs> so I don't, I don't want to sound negative because I'm, I've been part of that problem. Uh, but, but I, I, you know, what we're saying is let's, let's try and write for a different audience. And I, I guess it's been a gradual transition for me, you know, when I've been working solo and also with the Hudson Taylors, which is a kind of a country rock acoustic thing. Mm-hmm. We found on our last tour, people were just sitting down and listening to what we were doing. And I thought, oh, this is good. Mm-hmm. You know, people can come along and bring their friends who are on a journey to faith, and they don't feel they don't feel awkward mm-hmm. because they're not being, you know, told to stand up and enter the presence of God. You know, it's it's they they can come in. I, I suppose it, it, it's a bit more seeker friendly. Yeah. You know, so that's what we're trying to. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Well, I, I mean, I don't know about I mean, seeker friendly has such a negative connotation sometimes, but I understand what you're saying. I think it's you're going out. You're, you, you know, some of these folks are never going to yeah. walk in the church walls of a church building. And uh, Yes, well, yeah. as, as one uh, well-known bishop in, in England said last year, or a year or so ago at a conference I was at, you know, God sent Jesus into the world. Yep. So if that's what God did, and in fact God came into the world, God became flesh and dwelt with us, and he said then as, as the church we can do no less right. than go into the world. And I think that's where we've got to keep aiming our creativity and our efforts is we have to engage in this mission to take the good news to the world. So, and as musicians, it's, it's songs are a great way of doing that. Absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. 
Where can people go to find you? If they're looking for Noel Richards, where would you direct them? Just to the website, noelrichards.com. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. It was really inspiring to talk to Noel and to pick his brain about a number of things. There was a lot there, so I was um, able to make a list of some stuff. And as usual, you can go to christianmusicblog.com slash session5, and uh, you can see all of the the show notes there um, that were from the conversation. Make sure you visit noelrichards.com. Um, for more information about what he is up to, he's always got something going on, and he comes to the States quite often, so check out his site for tour dates, and you can join his mailing list there as well. And before I let you go, I want to just bring out um, a couple of things from the conversation that really jumped out to me. Um, he, he in, Early on in the interview, he, he talks about, I guess it was a school teacher of his, who described creativity as a young person being different than creativity as an older person. And how kids are totally free with their creativity. They're not being um, critical in their approach to how they create. They're just drawing and making stuff and saying, "That's that's my dad right there. Can't you tell? That's stick man. That's my dad." You know. And um, and then he also said later in the in the interview that we need to fall in love with the joy of making music, just for that to honor the Lord with the gifts that He's given us. Um, too often in this worship industry, as he described it, which I think is very true. Um, I'm very thankful for what God is doing through the contemporary modern worship movement, but at the same time, I think there are some pitfalls. I'll leave that to another discussion another time, but um, I think we can often write songs hoping that it'll be like the next Hillsong United or the next Chris Tomlin or the next Matt Redman, rather than thinking, what do I need to create today? Um, can I just not even think about what I'm going to create? Can I just set that aside and just make something? And um, like that young child, you know, who's drawing and just freely creating, I think we want to get back to that place. Does it mean we create bad stuff? Not at all. In fact, I think that's stage two, right? The being critical moment where you are going through and editing and working out the craft of what you've started with. So, Let's ask the Lord to get us out of our boxes, to help us be creative and to set trends and to be honoring the Lord with our creativity. For us to create and make stuff and say, just like God did on those first six days, he says, it's good. That is good. And and it's not about sizing it up and measuring it and comparing it to what we see out in the world. It's about what is honoring the Lord. Um and how is it being useful for God? I think that's the other thing, is let's think about how we can get outside of our church buildings, get outside of our um, Christianized ways of thinking about music and thinking about the latest trends that, that we can copy because, you know, so-and-so is doing it or whatever. But let's um, let's honor the Lord. Let's ask Him to lead us in our creativity. So, Go make some music, and is it going to be perfect? Are you going to love it? Maybe not, but just keep doing it, and you'll get better. And do it as worship unto the Lord. Let that be your worship unto the Lord. Well, that is it for this fifth edition. I'm so glad that you stuck with me up to this point. As usual, please join our mailing list at freemusicgifts.com. You can go there. You can also pick up those gifts that I have for you for checking out the podcast. 
You do not have to sign up. I would love for you to, but you don't have to. You can just grab those gifts and be on your way. That's at freemusicgift.com. In the next session of the CMB Podcast, I speak with Matt McCoy, a worship leader with the Vertical Church Band out of the Harvest Bible Chapel in Illinois. We talk about his latest album that is available at iTunes called Shine. So do not miss out on the next session of the CMB Podcast. Thank you for listening to the CMB Podcast. For more valuable content, including helpful articles and video, visit christianmusicblog.com.